0: Welcome to On the Matter of Systems, a tabletop RPG podcast, where every month your two hosts critically engage with some RPG theory and then some RPG design. I am one of the hosts. My name is B.W., and I am joined by the other host, my friend B. Hello, B.
1: Hello, I'm B. You are. We're back
0: yet again. 7.2. So last time, we read a bunch of stuff around lyric games. Um, So we read a short sort of tweet thread by John R. Harness, defining Lyric Games. Read an abstract by Evan Torner called Lyric Games, Genealogy of an Online Physical Game Scene. Uh, and then we read GURPS, Games Unruly Rending Piping Sense" by Riverhouse Games. And this time, we will be discussing Dogs in the Vineyard by yeah. Vincent Baker. Hell yeah. Hell, hell yeah, yeah indeed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, why don't I just get into it? i love that. So the first thing we do is I talk about what games we're covering and why. So, uh, end of last episode, I talked about how we are, uh, we've basically got three more months left, uh, including this one um, for our first season. And so for the last three game episodes of the first season, I wanted to do the first three systems that I sort of thought about uh, when first thinking about the podcast. Um, and so the very first one of those is called Dogs in the Vineyard, just by D. Vincent Baker. I... I guess I'll yeah I guess I'll just start talking about defensive D- Baker, uh, yeah. which is a, a little overwhelming sometimes <laughs> to think about. Um, so defensive Baker is like uh, pr- pretty famous in the world of indie RPGs. Uh, started Lumply Games. He and his wife McGay Baker um, are both incredible designers Um, they've worked on a bunch of stuff together Um, probably maybe most famously or most impactfully arguably would be apocalypse world spawned you know Power by the apocalypse and sort of all of that world of uh, what i now think of as like the core of indie tabletop rpg stuff and yeah, he wrote Dogs in the Vineyard uh, back in uh, twenty uh, sorry two thousand five uh, or two thousand four. Sorry, was the first edition, um, and then it was uh, second edition, and it was sort of the final edition was released in two thousand
1: five. Nice. Um, my f- my physical copy has an MMV on the on the cover.
0: Nice, yeah. So it is a tabletop rpg based uh sort of on early mormonism kind of loosely um it's set in the west it is very explicitly inspired and coming directly out of sort of the forge and forge thinking and that entire approach we've talked about a bit it's a game where the players are playing enforcers of a sort of puritanical religion like i said based on early mormonism it's called the faith uh capital t capital f um they travel from town to town uh they're called dogs so the dogs travel from town to town and group they sort of help out the towns you know delivering mail doing things like that but the real thing that they do is they go and enforce the faith so they root out sin corruption etc in all of these towns and deal with it however they see fit uh so that could be you know murder it could be all kinds of brutal things and it's in terms of like sort of mechanics and mechanisms to dice pool game so uh each of the dogs gets a, a Sort of bunch of traits and things like that. You get a bunch of dice uh, of specific values. Um, so a D6 versus D4 versus D8, et cetera. And then when it comes time to do the conflict, you roll those. Uh, and there's sort of a vaguely poker like, poker inspired uh, conflict m- mechanism that we'll talk about a little bit, mm-hmm. in which you sort of establish what the conflict is. And then you kind of do a series of sort of raises and calls and sees. Uh, basically, you're escalating the conflict with your dice. And that, that's kind of like uh, high level, that's what dogs is. Um, you are yeah. defenders of the faith, you travel from town to town, based on early Mormonism and sort of the American West and sort of the settlement of the American West. And uh, the other thing to note quickly is that it is no longer available. Yeah, Which w- was one of the reasons why I was thinking we might not talk about this. Um, and I, I mentioned this last uh, end of last episode, but one of the main reasons I decided we should talk about it is because I started digging into just trying to understand w- what led D. Vincent Baker to uh, stop having it for sale. And basically, his he's been pretty clear and straightforward about it, which is the setting and world of Dogs in the Vineyard uh, absolutely directly intersects with colonialism, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like displacement of indigenous people Uh,
1: you could say genocide
0: (laughs) genocide like it's it's bad like it's it's bad shit right and he he engages with it a little bit but clearly he he basically has said I did not engage with that stuff in the way that I I feel like I should and I would now but I also don't really want to go back and do that I don't know that 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 work is worth it and uh, I, I really respect that like he basically decided you know what I'm gonna stop selling this yeah, the 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 thing that then pivoted me over the two things that happened that pivoted me over into being like, I feel like this is still good to talk about and is not weird in any way was, um, I ran across the other thing that I mentioned at the end of last episode, which we're really and truly not going to talk about much. <laughs> uh, just because there's so much in dogs in the vineyard. Yeah. But I want to call it out because I think it's cool, and I think it also helps explain why I felt okay talking about this, Uh, which is the other thing I mentioned is called DOGS. It's an acronym, so D period O period G period S. It stands for, I scrolled into the PDF, not at the title (laughs) screen, I apologize, Dice Pool and Moral Predicament-Based Generic Role-Playing System. And it is written by uh, somebody <laughs> named K.N. Obah. Uh, I've tried to find any information about this person, and I, I basically can't, except that they wrote this uh, and have posted on Reddit sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, but basically what what DOGS is, what DOGS is, is it, it is an attempt to abstract the mechanisms and the mechanics of dogs in the vineyard away from the setting in the world. and. Basically, Kay and Obar reached out to D. Vincent Baker and said, hey, this is one of my favorite systems. I totally understand why you don't want to sell it. Would you be okay with me trying to kind of like abstract it out? Um, And what they did was basically abstract it out and then tweak it and sort of made it a little more their own, right? Made some changes that they didn't like, made some, you know, additions, etc. But it is essentially an abstracted version of Dogs in the Vineyard. And so the fact that D. Vincent Baker was like, yeah, Godspeed, go forth, do it," it, helped me feel comfortable saying, okay, I think there's interesting things that we can talk about here. And I don't think we're doing anything like bringing up a past that Devenson Baker is like trying to get rid of, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just don't think that's the relationship, which was important for me to like make sure of before we talk about it on a podcast. Sure. So, but yeah, so uh, I chose it for all of the reasons I kind of have already said, which is, I find it really fascinating. Uh, it was one of the first things I thought of when I thought about us starting a podcast. Uh, and the other stuff is uh, I was interested in this early on personally because I grew up in a in a pretty religious family and in and out of different s- flavors of Christianity. And so I was very interested in it originally just because of because of the setting um, or because of the sort of world and the faith part, not necessarily the West. I didn't really even pay attention to the Mormonism stuff. I was interested in the idea of sort of violent defenders of faith and stepping into that role. Um, And for me, this was like, I think I even said this last episode, but this was one of the first tabletop RPGs I read that truly like ignited me and was like, okay, I can now see what all you can do and explore. And like, Is Dogs in the Vineyard perfect? No. But I was like, holy fuck, the possibility space of what Tabletop RPGs can do is just like blown open in my brain, you know, back when I read this and whatever, I think I read it in 2014 or something. But yeah, so that's my, that's my summary. So B. Yeah. What'd you think of Dogs in the Vineyard?
1: I, um, I actually had a very similar initial reaction to Dogs. I think it was like probably 2013, 2014. I picked up a a copy, a used copy at my local game store. Um, And uh, I don't know if I read through the entire thing at the time, but like, you know, this is in the period when I was like, maybe maybe this was the game that sent me to the forge or something like that. I don't remember the exact timeline, but like even reading through chunks of dogs back at at that period when I was like, you know, still DMing uh, fourth edition D&D with no experience points or whatever. Um, (laughs) Every time. Every time you mention it, it's just so delightful <laughs> to me. I, it just, it, it 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 kicked a fucking door open in my head, right? Like, the yeah. first time I read yeah. it. I was like, wait, no. You can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. This is allowed. Uh, which is funny, because it was already a decade old at that point. Um, and people had made so many other things, but I just wasn't aware of them. Um, I love reading this game. <laughs>
0: yeah so i i feel like i this is a triumph for me personally Mm -hmm. because i feel like what i have done accidentally is find the system that you are the reader of and maybe also the player of right but like i i think you would be interested in playing this again possibly but like this is a book that b would like to read and i i feel i just feel personally like i this i we're we're done podcast Uh over i've succeeded i've turned you into a reader hell yeah uh
1: legit like i um so so, so part of the, the you know uh, the question here right is like what do i what do i think about the game and, and my history with it uh, i think I, I think i might have said this last time but like i've run dogs once it was um probably the single most disastrous uh role-playing session i've ever run um and i can go into that at some point um if it ever comes up or not if it doesn't but like And, and reading it, I don't really want, you know, this is a me thing also, like, I can often see myself as a player, but I'm more reading as a GM. Um, And there are things in here that make me want to, like, I am shocked that I didn't, like, somehow steal the time at some point at, like, four in the morning to just make a town. Because I love how the fucking, uh, (laughs) I love how they suggest you make a town in this game. Um, with like no intention of ever running it or anything, um, I,
0: I'll be honest. I fully expected you to show up today with like I fully expected a Discord message that was like, "Hey, look at this doc," and it was like, yeah. y- your your towns and NPCs that you did just because you wanted to like see how it did or whatever."
1: Uh, I got how it worked. I got extremely close, but then it, then the mixture of busyness and and bad brains um, yeah. like thwarted me, <laughs> which like doesn't mean I might not still just do that because that's how much fun i had with this i think this book is extremely well written in a very 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 specific way
0: that that is i i have a note in my physical notebook that is almost the word for word (laughs) that which is like this book is put together so well and also is so specific yes uh which is it yeah just fascinating
1: and, you know, we'll get into the specifics as we go along, um, to just keep it high level for a second. Like, um, yeah, and I say all that, like, you know, you know, call be problematic or whatever. But, like, I, I'm not trying to downplay the fact that, like, yeah, this is a a game that I think is, if you approach it the way we did and and will be is very clear about the evils in the, in this world. Yeah. Um, and that, that those aren't simply abstracted to the demons you are going to be killing or whatever, but it's also like, yeah, it, it also takes, uh, takes extremely heavy topics, like the genocide of, of native Americans and, and sort of like, I think it addresses them in abstract ways. And I, and I think, yeah, I could see, wanting a game that even touches on that to to take it much more centrally and i could see like that being a need in a a reader um, and i would not fault them for that need at all
0: (laughs) Um, yeah i mean I, i think that's the like that's the thing that i really ended up feeling is like Dogs in the Vineyard is super available, right? Like it's not available for sale, but like literally Google Dogs in the Vineyard PDF and you're gonna find a PDF of it in about five seconds. Yeah. And like D Vincent Baker has not tried to make that go away, right? And and right. to me, what that says is that I think I think Baker has a good and clear understanding of what this game where this game lands, right? Which is to your point, it, there is bad stuff in here that is not dealt with sort of uh, effectively or maybe as forcefully or as like confronted head on as maybe some yeah. people would like but I don't think it's done badly exactly I yeah. think it is y- you have to know going into Dogs in the Vineyard what it is and yes. to to jump ahead to to my note it is a it is a game about bad people in a bad world who are upholding a bad religion yes <laughs> and like that is very explicit and so you may just not want to play the game, which is, like, totally fine and, like, makes a lot of sense. I bought this game thinking I would never play it ever because yeah. I was like, I'm – there's no way I want to do this. Like, right. <laughs> I don't want to be that force. I I did not grow up in the most, you know, egregious versions, but, like, I, I – but there's, a you know, there's a lot of bad stuff in even sort of mainline conservative Christianity in America. Mm-hmm. So, like – I bought it wanting to sort of, like, play with the ideas and think about it, the stuff I do. Uh, But if you did get it it, because you're interested in sort of dealing with that, or maybe that's a way for you of, like, processing trauma is, like, I want to play that role and explore that. You just have to know going in, like, I don't think that it's handled badly, but, like, this was also written in 2005. And, like, the way... In the world, in tabletop RPGs especially, I feel like the way people talk about indigenous folks, the way people talk about how games intersect with these ideas of sort of settler colonialism, genocide, white supremacy, is just different now, Mm -hmm. sort of in a large, in the larger world of tabletop RPGs. So, like, I feel like this would be handled very differently now, but I don't think it's handled badly.
1: Um, I I tend to agree with that. I'm also now, I'm just remembering, because um, the, there's the famous game Dog Eat Dog, the our role-playing game, uh, that specifically does deal with, um, with like, settler colonialism, uh-huh. uh, and I, now I'm like, when did that come out? Because I feel like that might have been sort of contemporaneous. No, that came out in, like, 2013. Okay. that is That is the game I think of when I think about tabletop role-playing games that, like, explicitly... Deal with settler colonialism, and I've never read it, so mm-hmm. I can't speak to it at length. But like, yeah, that's to say this this game is seven years before the game, at least that I know of, that was like that gets talked about as like, oh, somebody finally did the thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they tackled the shit head on. Um, yeah, and and yeah, uh, I guess that's I guess that's our, sort of our like our broad. I was going to say caveats. I don't think that's true. I think that's that's I think what we're, we're defining is our approach to this game. Um this is this is where 100%. we land after having read it read through it a couple times a piece. And I just I guess I also wanted to add like my background in with regards to religion is just the dead ass opposite like yeah, parents, yeah like my mom was like a vague unitarian universalist. I like went to church like three times ever. Um and it was all always on Easter or whatever. Um, I there was
0: a there were many years of my life where I was at church four to five days a week.
1: Yeah, could not be farther (laughs) from my personal experience. (laughs) Like, on
0: average, no, four to five is probably too much. Three was very regular, like uh, a Sunday service, usually a a midweek youth thing and then usually a weekend youth thing was like regular week, not even a busy week. Um, yeah, so that's just a that's just wild.
1: Uh. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like from my end, right? Like I think the thing that drew me to the game was like was on some level I fundamentally was not a, a fan <laughs> of religion yeah. from a very young age, and so I saw this game about these fucking assholes, like you know, running around killing people because they were like sleeping with the wrong people or whatever, and I was like, yo, this game is this game i think this might i think i might vibe with this yeah (laughs) Um, this is like pure role playing like i don't i don't have any basis in this other than that i think i feel the same way about religion as this author does and i i think the answer to that is like no (laughs) sure yeah um yeah it's it's an interesting overlap because i yeah anyway fun fun game cool game yeah (laughs) Uh, so, I mean, we've, we've
0: touched on some stuff, so I'll just, I'll I'll do my little intro thing of basically, I think for the rest of the episode, we're kind of going to kind of walk through the book, but we're not going to do it in a ton of detail because there's there quite a so lot. Much. There's so yeah, much. <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot. And I would say in terms of the games we've covered, this is probably the most mechanically dense thing we've done. Aegon yeah. also had a lot of like proper nouns, but I feel like the actual mechanics were simpler. The the conflict yeah. mechanics, which we'll talk about later, are, are pretty complicated i think to talk about i think they're the sort of thing that once you are just at a table and you're dealing with physical dice will be a lot easier but like we're probably not going to go too deep into a lot of the like very super specific details of mechanics because i think it's going to be tough to talk about so we'll probably talk about stuff in kind of broad strokes we're also not going to talk through everything i I think like the Aegon episode we we kind of basically talked through the whole book Yeah. Um, which is just me being a, being bad at, at leading these episodes <laughs> at that point. Uh, and so we're going to talk through the sort of each of the, the, the sections of the book. And there's kind of like s- six broad sections. Um, there's more chapters than that. Um, yeah. But we're just going to touch on the stuff that we're sort of interested in or we thought we had some sort of thoughts on. So this is definitely an episode where you might come away from it being like, wow, I don't actually know if I know how that game works, which may be different than some of the other ones, but I also don't, I think that's fine.
1: Yeah, but I, and I also don't think you would come away knowing how it works if we were to sit here and say, so exactly. you start with 16d6, and yeah. then when you do this, you want to you want to roll your 1d4 trait plus your 2d10 belonging, and those break out into, like, a, mm-hmm. yeah. Just well, it and wouldn't be useful. I, here's my,
0: this is my uh, summary of why I think it would be frustrating to try and talk about some of these details, is... The main thing I took away from reading DOGS, the abstracted version, was that it had tables that just listed the dice. And I was like, oh, okay, this is great. Like, uh-huh. thank you for just making this very... And like, it's different tables because the dice are slightly different. But I was yeah. like, okay, this is just visually parsable for me. Right. <laughs> and I just, I don't think we could translate that into an audio medium of a podcast. So nope. we're going to we're gonna touch on a bunch of stuff that we think is interesting. Um, but like I said, we'll we'll basically talk through the the bulk of the parts of the book but there's there's going to be gaps um but any why don't we why don't we start at the start yeah. so the the sort of first chapter is yeah. how to play it's intro guidance uh, i think the the thing i'll say at the beginning maybe cuz this feels like a a place to kind of start with it is um we both i think are in agreement that we we're really pretty impressed with this book in terms of like not just the game, but like the book itself, right? How the information is organized and how stuff is written. But one of the, one of the places I wanted to start at the beginning, it was one of the things that jumped out immediately is the audience for this book is sort of interesting. Meaning if you think about sort of like, let's just take the, right. Let's take D and D. If you think about D and D, right. The thing everybody knows in <laughs> tabletop RPG worlds, like you have a player handbook and that's what the player reads. And then you have a, a Dungeon Master right. handbook. And that's what the Dungeon Master read. And even in stuff like Quiet Year, right? The Quiet Year has, I, I know this because I just uh, i just ran one recently, right? It's got like, you have all the parts that you read together, but then there's a separate part at the end. That game doesn't have a GM, but it's like, okay, you're facilitating it. Here's some sort of things to keep in mind. Right. And uh, Devins and Baker is much more fluid about that in this book. Yeah. <laughs> it, it Like there are sections of the book where he starts writing and i i like half a sentence in went like oh this is to the gm okay which is interesting mm-hmm. i like i don't know i did that strike you at all like that that move of uh it's it's not written with these very explicit sort of like and this is to you and this is to you and this is to you uh and it's kind of just intermixed
1: yeah i <sighs> That one didn't, like, hit me explicitly, but, like, a version of it did in some of later stuff. But, like, yeah, no, that's an extremely, extremely good way of, uh, like, <laughs> talking about the weirdness of, yeah, like, like you said, the audience of this game. Because, uh, it, yeah, it seems to be written primarily for the GM. Yeah. But also primarily for the players. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> um, that's, the th- that's what I really ended up taking away from it, which is, like, I, I think this is actually written for the GM. I think the parts for the players are for the GM to help the players with. Right. Yeah. Like, because, yeah. Yeah. uh, Like one of the things that uh, I don't think either of us talked about, right. But, or like put in our notes. Right. But what, one of the small things about making the dogs, right. Making the characters is like Baker's very clear. You should not come with ideas in mind. You should not do this ahead of time. You should do this together at the table, GM and all the players all at once. Right. Like, um, and I think there's there's something to that that helped me understand, like, yeah, okay, I think this is mostly written to the GM, actually. Like, I think Baker's assumption is likely that if you are trying to play this game, the person who will read this is likely going to be the GM. Which I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I found really interesting because it uh it made the book, I don't know how to say the thing I'm trying to say right now, but, like, it made the book feel <laughs> feel very different than reading other RPG books in a in a very weird and sort of fuzzy way for me.
1: But You don't... Yeah. Okay. I I I've been trying to think of why this has been why are you saying this or what the what it has unlocked and I don't have a note for this because I, I didn't cite it as a thing, but some of the actual play examples got really confusing for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because he is and this is going to go into some of the, like, the the voice of the text also stuff that we'll be getting to in a second. But, like, in, like, some of the examples he gives, he says, like, you know, I'm your GM and you are this person. And so he's, like, saying, like, I, the GM, do this and you yes. do this. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like... I think you have just unlocked why that was such a confusing set of pronouns for me, because, like, the you that the voice is talking to most of the time is apparently the GM. So the the second person of the text is the GM until there's an example in which Correct. the first person becomes the GM and the second person becomes the player.
0: <laughs> yeah, which I think is like, uh, which I think kind of makes sense when you think about it, but it's also, it's not explicit. Which is like, yeah, it's just uh, this is uh, this in some ways feels like uh, some of my feelings around the GURPS, like I don't have like a concrete this is what this does, but like it felt like such a specific choice that Baker was doing that like I kept thinking about like it's very interesting to me that it is on the GM in some ways reading this book. This is sort of my take on maybe what Baker was thinking is like it's on the GM to figure out like what to actually share with the table like with the players and like the suggestions are in the book based on sort of how things are referenced right but like mm-hmm. really this is a book for GMs and it's it's up to you the GM to know your table and know which of this what of this stuff should you bring to them or should you say hey read this section before or whatever versus you just go like that's where i ended up landing um especially because of some of the other stuff in this first section, right? Which is like, this is, this first section is also where he talks about like, listen, this is a game. This is a Western. It's a Western. It's set in the West. <laughs> it's like, yep. so like, if your table is just not interested in that, like, here's a bunch of other systems you could try. Like that's literally in the book, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's like, or maybe he doesn't.
1: Yeah. He, I, no, he says, like, Troll yeah. Babe, uh, exactly, Universalis, yeah. M- yeah, My Life with Master, or Primetime Adventures. Um, which, in my physical copy, there's an ad at the end for Primetime Adventures also, which is yeah,
0: fun. <laughs> there's ads in the in the PDF I have, which I find really delightful. Okay. Uh, there's a <laughs> Yeah, there's a Polaris ad and a Primetime Adventures ad. Um,
1: yes, okay, same one. But yeah, like,
0: I... There's a confidence, I guess, is maybe the thing I'm landing on in, like... This is all, this is all the forge, right? <laughs> this is all, forge, is, this like, is all the
1: forge. This is all the forge, is There is a confidence, right?
0: In like, I know what the thing, I know what the thing that I have made does, and I want you yes. to understand that because you're going to have a better time with this if you understand why I made this thing and what it's doing, right? Which is just very pleasing to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, my note literally, right, is like the, the thing you just mentioned, the yeah. um if you tell them it's a western, and they look at your, you like a western. What's that about? Then this isn't their game. It's okay. I've been there. There are lots of other alternatives. That is just system does matter. A hundred percent. Like well, he just it, he just wrote system does matter. But <laughs> but importantly
0: to me, he wrote the system does matter that I agree with,
1: uh-huh. right? <laughs>
0: Which is not the only way to write tabletop rpgs is in this one specific way that is based on my theorization of how tabletop rpgs work this is going systems matter because they're systems and because they have like opinions and because the things work together to do things and like sort of influence certain behavior and mechanics so like you could still play this but like you're probably not going to have as good of time because it's doing certain things right and like that's just such a clearer and more interesting point to me than what ron edwards was doing which was like systematizing it turning into this concrete thing that like has all these hard edges and like if you do this you're bad um Mm -hmm. but like because i i read that and was like i read this part of like in the how to play it was like yeah that seems correct like Uh (laughs) i mean it's just like again it just seems very simple to me like if you're if if the game that you're playing is like based around a setting in the west and you the people don't care about westerns then like you should probably just think about a different game it's not good or bad it's just like that's just there's just a weird mismatch there and it, it's fine if you then want to continue with that mismatch but just be aware of the mismatch right
1: you uh would you like an actual play example <laughs> uh sure sure yeah <laughs> um this is Uh, This is the thing I always come back to. Oh, this Um,
0: is this your, this is your actual play example. This is is me. I I now understand. Yes.
1: I now, (laughs) I thought you were going to read
0: something from the book and I now understand. I'm going to hear about this, uh, this legendarily bad uh, dogs in the vineyard game.
1: Yes. um, We played the whole like initiations and stuff and and like the game itself after this, this exactly came up and I handled it poorly. Um, like the game itself was fine. Um, it was a little tense. It was a little awkward. But we were doing character creation. I had already done. You know, I had already made my town. I had all my proto NPCs. I had a bunch of names. I had like a couple little mysteries. And one of the people at the table uh, was like, "I uh, want to. I want to be non-binary. I want to be a non-binary dog."
0: Whoa, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Huh. That was that would have been a decent response from me. I think a decent response from me is what Devenson uh, Baker re- <laughs> suggests, which is like, "Oh, maybe we should just be playing a different game then." Yeah. Um, you did What I did was yeah, say, okay. "Well, oh, sorry. What, no, was
0: I was just gonna say, but you did not choose either of those options."
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I said, "Well, you know, this game is pretty explicitly wrapped up in questions of of." Cisnormative gender. Um I had I was out as non-binary at this point also, um after a long time of of struggling with that. Um I don't remember if the person who was playing the non-binary person was. I, I don't I think I only met this person like once, um, maybe twice. So I I sort of tried to lightly push back and see if we could sort of like, you know, merge the interests of this player with the interests of the system. Mm-hmm. And that just made it really weird. It yeah, just made it very sure. awkward, because um, it I think uh, I think probably perfectly like reasonably or even correctly this person expressed an interest uh, in doing a certain thing with a game, and I like, I sort of tried to like you know I don't know railroad for instance is, <laughs> is a as it's, it's a metaphor right them into. Um, a certain way of playing that I thought I, this was how I interpreted the book as, as being very in- interested in, and I I, w- I would defend that um, <laughs> as a thing that the book is deeply interested in. Um, and, but I like I didn't just go okay, let's run with it, and I didn't go like okay, maybe we just need to do a different game. Like I can I'll, I'll prep something else in in fifteen minutes because you know there's a million games out there, and. and and it was not doing either of those things. I think that made it the worst possible <laughs> um, uh, response. Honestly,
0: well, uh, I mean, so in your defense, it is absolutely not the worst possible <laughs> response. Mm-hmm. I could think of a bunch of sure. way worse responses, right? Sure. Uh, but I, like, I think that it's hard. Ho- it's hard to do the thing that you were put in the position of doing, though, right? And like, that's I think one of the interesting things about taking systems seriously is like Mm -hmm. for me, the thing, what this kind of reminds me of a little bit is, uh, the, the blades in the dark stuff from Duskfall Interstitials, right? Which is just acknowledging that like, you absolutely could spend some time, read Dogs in the Vineyard, and find an interesting way to have a non-binary dog, right? Like, I absolutely think yeah. you could do that. It's just work. Like, it's work. Like, yeah. you would need to sit there. You need to think about it. You would probably want to talk to somebody about it after you think about it, right? Like, it's work. It's not It's not easy. Um, so, like, I just want to... I just want to say for you, my friend B, like, (laughs) that's just hard, right? It's hard. If somebody is like, if you're like, hey, I'm really excited about this game, and I think the system is really fun, and I think we could have a cool time doing it, and then somebody's like, I want to do this thing, and you're like, oh, well, okay, (laughs) that does sort of break everything almost Uh immediately. Um, Uh Like, that's just a hard place to be in as, like, a person running a game or, you know, running a table for friends and people you don't know, et cetera. Um,
1: Yeah. And I think, the, I, you know, probably there was some amount of ego bruise in there as well, because I tend to think of myself as a person who is very good as a facilitator at rolling with punches like that and just being like, okay, like, let's figure it out as we go. And like, and instead, I was just like, no, wait, no, no, fuck. No. Well, <laughs> um.
0: So that's, I think, the interesting thing, though, to me about this, this particular example, and like, it speaks to the larger interest I have in the podcast we do right which is like the thing that i think you're you are good at is facilitation and facilitation of play right yeah but you're not a game designer and like the the, at the point where like there are there are ways in which like mechanisms right like mechanics might intersect with some of these choices it's not to say you can't do it it's not to say you can't do it on the fly and it wouldn't be good but like it also is just a thing that takes work right like uh, it's not like it's it's not that you're like designers are like super special this is not the kostickian argument it is just though that it it's a set of skills and talents and sets of knowledge and information that you like ways of thinking that like i'm not i don't have i, I read a lot of rpgs i'm not a designer i've i've like started reading board game rule books for fun because i'm a dork <laughs> but like i have no desire to design a I mean it's not for fun. It's like board games I'm interested in, but like I'm I'm reading rules for games that I don't I don't own and I won't own for a while, but I'm interested in them. I'm interested in how the things work together, but like I'm not a designer, right? Like that's, that's different. True. And I have um,
1: yeah, I've like written a couple of, of small games role-playing games but like even that like i it's not a practiced bone i have it's like a a thing i've i've tried out a handful of times right oh yeah Um, i
0: apologize you're right you have i i know you've made games i i just said that and that was just wrong i was just wrong (laughs) about you my friend sorry no no no
1: (laughs) i think i or at least the way i took it is like you know, to say, like, I don't identify as as, as a designer. I yeah. don't think that is my strong suit Correct. in any way. I think you could technically call me one because I have self-published a thing on Itch uh, for a birthday project and written a, uh, co-written a game. But, like, I, if someone said, so you're a tabletop role-playing game designer, I'd be like, well, technically. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, I-
0: The thing that I find really interesting about the first section is, is the thing I say often I've said it about theory stuff and I've said it about the game stuff and it feels very related to everything you just talked about, which is like, when I say system does matter, or when I say I care about systems, or when I say I care about opinionated systems, it's not that systems are like magical or have power. It's just that I think taking them seriously produces more interesting results. Because what you're doing is taking seriously that a person designed this thing. And I want to understand why they made the choices they made, right? And so that just means like, in a game like dogs, which is so much more opinionated, and so much more specific in terms of what it's doing, and how it's like pieces fit together, it also is just going to make it harder than to be be more sort of fluid with it. I think, which is interesting to me.
1: Um, to to sort of wrap up the forge portion of the of the <laughs> of the evening. Fine, finally, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I I really liked page six. Um, in in how to play, it's uh, if you've never role played before. Oh yeah, the this, first sentence of yeah. that is. You and your friends sit around a table or the living room talking. That's the Lumpley principle. <laughs> um, yeah. That, uh, which I guess famously as, for, as, and as ultimately formulated by Ron Edwards was like uh system, including, but not limited to the rules is defined as the means by which the group agrees to a ima- uh, agrees to imagined events during play, which I think is extremely elegant and, uh, and a, a very useful definition of system, if not a if not a um totalizing one maybe um as as Edwards might have assumed
0: uh- <laughs> yeah uh it is it was both Baker and Emily Boss, by the way, who came up with the uh lumpy principle originally
1: yes, yes,
0: I think the lumpy principle is very fascinating, but yeah i I really like this section if you've never pl- role played before I think it's a really good um oh, this is the place where it says you're the g m though I just realized. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's interesting uh-huh. but yeah uh, I think this is just really done or uh, really done well like it's a really clear and, and good and it's like half a page right it's like three paragraphs that's just like okay I've never been at a table before like you could just give somebody this and be like this is kind of what we're doing and I think it's pretty
1: yeah, good it, also the ending line here of if it's not as fun and engaging as the best TV shows I haven't done my job it's such a strange thing to say in a, <laughs> in a role playing book <laughs>
0: um i get it though i mean it, in yeah. in a section pitching it to new people that is a, a that's a solid pitch uh yeah yeah cool any uh, anything else yeah, in the in this first section
1: i don't think so just uh I mean, you know the, the last note uh it's a very voicey role-playing game as we'll get to
0: yeah yeah it, it is like it the the i was thinking a lot about the conversation we've sort of start started but never really dug into around um around like super th- sort of theme forward games in terms of the writing of the game. Apocalypse world is very famous for this, right Apocalypse world is right. written sort of in character. Um, it is one of the things I will say about this book that I, I think did end up making it a little hard for me to get some of the details yeah that the the voice is like, It's pretty specific and a little familiar and sort of like informal in a way, but like there were times where I specifically with some of the actual play examples where I was like, this is cool. I wish this was formatted less like a dialogue and more like an actual sequence of steps because that's what it is and that's what you're sort of teaching me. (laughs) Um, right. That's one yes. of the, that's one of the few things that I ended up stumbling over, but, but yeah. So, uh, I guess leading into this, right? Like what, what we were moving to is the second, the second section, which is basically the, the world setting. So the second chapter is, you know, he, here's the world. Here's what the, here's sort of w- where you are, what the landscape is like, what the faith is like, what towns are like, food, fashion, guns, um, all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, basically this is the world. um, and I mean, I think the big thing I have here that we've we've talked about a bit already, right? Which is, I think one of the things that's important to understand about Dogs in the Vineyard is that the, th- the theme is very much about bad people in a bad world upholding a bad, brutal religion. Um, yes. And if you don't keep that in mind while reading this book, and specifically some parts of this chapter uh i think it could read very differently right
1: like uh it has to read very differently it does yeah
0: yeah um which is if you if you
1: (laughs) if you come at this book thinking like i'm gonna have a good time as some old mormons and you read this book and you don't go fuck this book yeah then there's something wrong
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, and and i mean so we might as well just get to the mountain people stuff which is i think the most sort of a clear example of this right so there's a section in this chapter um and it is called uh the mountain people um and the mountain people is basically it's the indigenous folks of of this area um yes so natives so native, native americans and sort of the american west and there's there's a lot in here but yeah. the thing that uh i want to say just at the outset is like the first time I read this, I very much had the the feeling of like, oh, Jesus Christ, what is it? Like, what is this section? <laughs> uh, yeah. But this section is written in the voice of the faith, which is, I think, a thing that, again, like, if this was, if, if Baker did rewrite this, this is one of those things that I wonder if he would, like, make this more explicit, right? Which is, this is the faith's view of the mountain people, right? Which is yes. what you need to keep in mind if you are playing a dog. And... If you if you are not clear on that, and like, to be fair, Baker is not super clear on that in the text, right? Um, But if you're not clear on that, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna walk away from this section being like, holy shit, this is bad. Or if you don't walk away from that, you should maybe uh, you should maybe think about your reaction to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just to like, to, to reinforce your point here, right? Like the first, again, just to read the first sentence here of the, the mountain people section. The the land here wasn't uninhabited when the faith arrived, not precisely, but its natives are nomads. And at the time they were elsewhere. <laughs> There's a way to read that in a, in a less sarcastic voice where you, you go, Oh wow. What a, what a, what a stroke of luck. Yeah. Uh, and that is bad. That is a, that is a, <laughs> that is a, uh, you, that is doing bad history. That is uh that is, you are, have a lack of knowledge. Hopefully, of um, the atrocities committed on indigenous people in the formation of the United States of America. Yeah, or you could read it like I did and go, "Oh, these people are lying through their fucking teeth to you." Yeah, because and I suck. think that's
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing that's like it. It, it really. I, I I was thinking about this earlier today. Like uh, at some point, I said during the those OSR. Blog posts. I said during that episode of like early on in that episode, we were talking about some of our concerns about that, about those posts, right? And Mm -hmm. I said at some point, like I'm kind of just thinking of this section of this podcast now as us going like, so you're interested in reading this? Here's some stuff Uh to know before you go (laughs) in, right? And that's very much how I think of this. Very different reasons, right? But like because again, this section is written in the voice of the faith that is what baker is doing it is so clear what baker is trying yeah. to get across to you the reader is this is how the va- the faith views the mountain people and it's bad it is a bad view it is a false view right but like yeah it is important to understand the world that you're trying to sort of inhabit when you play this game um there yeah are there any like super specific like examples you want to talk through but about oh, how if yeah, the mountain yeah. people convert or like if the mountain people are adopted by a member of the faith, right? the there's there's yes. this section in which it talks about how like essentially you'll it's like you're going to fall into you will likely end up feeling like a model minority sort of uh, experience, right? Where even the people who have adopted you and taken you on are going to hold you to much higher standards and are going to be much more uh, brutally sort of uh, vindictive when you mess up. Um, I yes, think this, this might be in, in the the dogs it's section.
1: A, yeah, it's in creating a dog. It's the convert section where he's talking about like how you might play yeah. as, a, as a as somebody who's recently converted to the faith. Yeah, um, and I, I think I should just read this, this yeah. bit because I've got it. Um, uh, so yeah, speaking of uh, of. People who have just recently converted and then become dogs. Or, um, or it might be that you're a mountain person. If you've been raised in the faith by convert parents or by an adoptive faithful family, your life is only a little different from your fellow dogs'. The mountain people don't look like the faithful, they're leaner-built, so you never have quite fit in. You've been subject to prejudice, both the outrightly hostile kind, you are naturally wicked, superstitious, lazy, dirty, mean, and a subtler kind. Some see you as uniquely noble, admiring the antiquity of your faithful heritage, holding you to a high standard and expecting you to be at once insightful, powerful, and humble, with little compassion for you if you fail. If you've been adopted by faithful parents, it's very likely that they see you this way themselves. Yeah, Which I think is 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 to me that straight that reads very much as evidence that like baker i don't know using the, just calling them mountain people also sucks <laughs> it just feels bad to say but like that baker did not do this uh in a way where he was not aware of like you know both the explicit and implicit or explicit racism and systemic racism yeah um where he was not unaware of the ways in which people's relationships with systemic racism, uh, manifest in, uh, in, you know, noble savage tropes, things like that. Um, this to me makes it very clear that like, for what is at fault here? Um, it is not that Baker has not considered, uh, what he is doing in this. It's that maybe he didn't go hard enough.
0: Yeah, well and I, I mean I think I think that's backed up by the by his eventual take on the system itself which was to go I don't yeah. feel comfortable selling this anymore because I didn't handle all of these things as well as I could have and I should have probably done more or said more uh but I'm I've kind of moved on from it as a system. So yeah. Uh like yeah, uh yeah, I don't have a good conclu- conclusion. I, th- I think this is the th- this is the stuff that I think is is really worth being aware of. If if you're interested in this, is the world is bad in Dogs in the Vineyard, and like a lot of the book is written from the perspective and trying to get across the perspective of the people who are doing the bad things, the people who are, you know, who are the faith, right? They are the religious. Yeah settlers who are genociding native americans um
1: yeah um sort of in that same vein but maybe in a li- little different uh, mode in terms of just like things to be aware of like yeah. i kind of want to get into how i took the voiciness of this book because i think there are basically three major voices that vincent baker takes on uh, as the writer of this the first one is is the the heavy eye voice, right? It's it's v- D. Vincent Baker, designer, saying things like "It's just what I care about," um, like he- explicitly talking to the reader as himself. Mm-hmm. There is, and then there's sort of the more generic voice. I happen to be on a page that has all of these things, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> I thought it was just one of them, but there's the sort of more generic descriptive voice. Uh the landscape, the mountains are really tall. They peak above the snow line. They have deep canyons, smashing waterfalls, some rivers with ice in them year round. Winters even winters even in the foothills, hills are fierce and long. You know, just outward like just descriptive voice doesn't necessarily need to be coming from anyone. It's still clearly Vin- Vincent Baker, but like it it does a slightly different thing. And then there's a thing we just talked about. And um in my most recent reread I think the first time this happens is on page 14. There's a portion called the faith that just goes like this. The whole name of the faith faith is the faith of all things in the king of life reborn. The whole name of the dogs is the order set apart to the preservation of faith and the faithful. Casually, the king's dogs are life's watchdogs. Dogs are always called brother or sister by their first name. Brother Jeremiah, sister Patience. That part is the descriptive voice I was just describing, right? The next Mm -hmm. paragraph is... The faith is the only true religion in the world. All other religions are A, actively demonic, cults created by faithful leaders fallen into sin, B, corrupt and decadent like the majority religions of the East, or C, idle nonsense like most of the religions in the wider world. There is a tone shift there. (laughs) That to, to get to my reading of this book, at least you need to be you need to be watching out for, right? You mm-hmm. need to you need to you need to hear the voice change there because otherwise this book doesn't do any of the things that I say it does. <laughs> Just to be as as blunt as possible. If it is the case that I am misreading this in some way, I'm extremely confident that I'm not. If it is the case that there is no tone shift there, that this is all one singular voice said, um, "As emphatically as you know, like these are the things that I care about." By Vincent Baker, as a, the faith is the only true religion in the world, then I have fundamentally misread this game, and uh, and you should not listen to me <laughs> anymore.
0: <laughs> well, and uh, but and you have but you haven't, right? I mean, I think that's the thing is like we don't even need to guess at this, right? Because like Baker has made it ve- very clear why he doesn't why he doesn't want to sell this anymore. And like, to me, it just, that is enough to be like, yeah, there is a voice shift here. This is what Baker is doing is there are times when Baker is talking to you. And there is time, there are times where Baker as the world is talking to you. Right. Um, Yes. That's a a better way to put it. Yeah. The, the faith is telling, is telling you that the faith is only the true, is the only true religion in the world in that moment. Yeah. And yeah, I, I like, yeah, the, That is very important. It is really, really important to go into this understanding that there are times when Baker is telling you about the game, and there's time when Baker is telling you about the world that the game takes place in. And the world that the game takes place in is very bad. (laughs) And so if you don't keep that in mind when reading those sections, you will absolutely come away with a very different take on this.
1: And the other – and like – it's it's i don't know this is why i love reading this book also right because it does these ambivalent moves this 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 weird toying with voice it's a very fun reading experience to me and maybe that's because i'm a fucking weirdo oh. but like well so
0: we all you, are you absolutely are a, <laughs> yeah i mean you're a, you absolutely are a literary nerdo but um yeah but like <laughs> uh but i am not and i found that interesting too right because i i think what it does in this in sort of thinking of it as like a system you're going to play is really fascinating and is so impressive to me too because i do think it's pretty easy to follow and it's it's subtle in that it's not explicit i guess but it it actually it doesn't feel all that subtle to me if you read through it and kind of pay attention um, but maybe i'm also just yeah. a, a, a certain type of reader but um yeah but yeah uh, well, do we uh, since we've now since we've now absolutely determined that it is a bad world with bad people doing bad things? Do we want to talk about making our bad people? Yeah. So that the next section is how you make your dogs. Uh, so how you make your your um, player <laughs> character and how you make your dogs. There's a the how you make your dogs. There's a lot of <laughs> stuff in here. I think we're gonna probably yeah. touch on things pretty high level. Yeah. I, I think. We talk, we talk about some of, like, the fun, small stuff first. Um, so, like, uh, do you want to talk about coats maybe a little bit? Are we bit? talking
1: about coats? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about I, coats. <laughs> I,
0: I'm, glad you, I'm glad you put this in because I, I forgot to put this in. But uh, this is a thing I haven't mentioned. But it's actually, I think, a pretty it's, – it's one of the cooler parts of this book, I think. It's small, but, like, in terms of, like, yeah. the flavor of your character, like, I just really like yes. it. So do you, do you want to talk about the dog's coat?
1: it's brilliant um, so basically um, all dogs have a coat that was is um, made by the community uh, in some way or another um, it's like a it's basically like a free item that you get that you can use um, mechanically um, that fits into a a wild number of possible situations which is just great it's and it's um, an individualized thing so you're not wearing a uniform you're not you know, you don't have your white, your starched white tea with a black tie. You're not, you know, Mormon missionaries or whatever in that sense. But it is a, a uniform in the broader sense of like a thing that conveys authority. It's it's just such a cool fucking like like versatile little detail that like builds out the ways that communities feel about dogs um, that can be customized to your own dog's like relationship with your prior community um and that just gives you a a a piece of visual information that you can focus on when describing a scene um i think it's just like an extremely elegant little piece of design that i was like this motherfucker just just did a coat of many colors and and made it <laughs> the coolest thing in the world
0: yeah I, well and so it, <laughs> there every every dog gets a coat but like you may get a coat that's kind of just thrown together by like whoever the lead of your like dog organization is during your training, or you might get a beautiful personally crafted handmade coat from your family and your village and everybody who loves you. And I, I, I just really liked that he, he did that, right. He gave sort of that spread of like, this is really important, but also not all dogs have like the good coat, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. which I, I just found, I, I found really cool and really flavorful but also like you said yeah kind of like impactful mechanically in a very cool way um
1: yeah which actually um, so i think the section oh, go ahead.
0: well maybe i was just gonna say i realized i was gonna do a thing at the beginning of this which i didn't which was just to talk very high level about how you actually make a character um because I I'm think sure, that yeah. <laughs> that also might help some of the thing we just said about coats, right? Which is basically you get uh, so you you basically get a lot of a, a, like a lot of dice. Uh, <laughs> d- dice <laughs> is is sort of the the short version, um, but you are you are going through this process to create your dog, and um, you essentially get. Sorry, I'm now. Scrolling, I was scrolling frantically to try and find the section. I did just find the section on the coat, by the way. But we're moving on. Um, yeah. So, so, your first step is your background. So you choose a background, and you're going to get a big pool of dice, right? So, like, I'm. We're not going to talk about all of these. I'm just going to talk about the first one. But like, well-rounded background. Choose this if you want. I'm reading from page 22. Choose this if you want your character to be straightforward, balanced, and effective. It's a good choice for men born in the faith. On your character sheet. 17d6 in stat dice, 1d4, 4d6, 2d8 in trait dice, 4d6, 2d8 in relationship dice. Hello, listeners. Do you now understand why we are not going to talk about the individual mechanics of this game in detail? Um
1: and so 25 d6 and just <laughs>
0: ex- so it's a, like it is a lot of dice which is actually one of the things that like uh, occurred yeah. to me at some point while reading this which there's a part of me that just thinks this would be fun to play because you're just going to be sitting at a table with like 60 dice in front of you
1: <laughs> there is a is a genuine joy in getting a handful of dice so big that you can barely hold it and trying to roll them hold it um, yeah that i will say exactly yeah, that's just yeah.
0: that seems yeah. delightful um <laughs> But So, so you, you choose sort of this background, and then that spills out into a bunch of stuff, right? So you get certain stats, you assign certain dice to certain stats, you then get traits, you assign certain dice to your traits, um, and then you, you sort of develop relationships, right? And so you, you also have dice that you can pull on for relationships. All of those dice go into these pools that you sort of put together for the conflict that we'll talk about. And so having more dice is good because then you have more things you can pull on. Having bigger dice is good because that gives you larger numbers possibly to like... the poker thing we'll talk about and there's a lot there's a lot more I will say but like the the thing I wanted to say is there's those four and then you also can do belongings and so this is where your coat becomes like a piece of equipment that also has uh dice that you can you can roll right so you can call on the authority of yourself as a dog via your coat in a in a conflict for instance
1: if you're like yeah if you're if you know a sheriff is is mouthing off to you you can you could say like uh, you know, I flash my coat and then you roll 2d8 and you add those to your pool and then you have more things to do.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So, with that out of the way, next
0: fun thing about character creation.
1: <laughs> um, do you want to talk about the sign of the tree?
0: Yeah, that that's I think where you were going to go next.
1: Yeah, um, you know, this one didn't strike me until like my m- most recent when I was, like, actually just straight up skimming through the book to take, like, to write down notes. Like, I, I, you know, I remember that there was a thing called the sign of the tree or whatever, but there's a specific, like, description of it, and I didn't write down where it is, I don't think. Um, But the sign of the tree is one of the things you can do, uh, you can do to, like, um, uh, oh, it's page 40. Okay, uh, It's, it's one of the like ceremonial gestures you can do to sort of invoke, uh, your, your,
0: uh, your authority, your religious authority. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, at at first I read through it, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, they have, they have one of those, you know, they have a sign of the cross type of deal or whatever. But then thinking about it, I was like, okay, so this description itself is the face, the faith's most sacred symbol is a stylized tree, the tree of life. You make the sign of the tree by holding your right hand up at shoulder level palm forward with your fingers widespread and i was like oh yeah it's like you know it's a, it's a sign of the cross it's a whatever whatever but then i realized like it's not easy to just make up a sign of the cross and like have no it be yeah convincing yeah uh-huh. <laughs> um, correct uh
0: and like Like, have you have you done have you done it physically like have you just done it physically
1: and like that's what it that's when it clicked
0: think think about being a dog wearing your brightly colored coat and in an argument or in a conflict and like all of a sudden just doing this one hand motion becomes a very powerful feeling (laughs) because like it, it's just it's just putting your hand with your palm out at your shoulder. But it's such a specific motion that I'm feeling in my hand and arm right now. Right? Like, it's awkward. It's a little yes. like close. But like, I just Yeah, I, uh, I I really like these ceremonies. I don't have a ton to say about them. But um, I, I think these these are cool. Like some of the other ones are uh, like the one right underneath it, right? Is just reciting the book of life, which is just it's just reciting the scripture, right, of the of the yeah. faith, but I I I think it's it's very smart and very good that he's called these out super explicitly, right? Because so if like for me as a person who was raised very religious, I don't need these. I know these, right? Like uh-huh. <laughs> like I understand that you anoint things with uh, in in Christianity, it's usually oil, right? But right. like even even things like. Invoking the ancients here, which is declaring your authority as a dog and an office holder of the faith, is just like a oh. very simple move that happens in church. I, there's a there's a thing that ha- happened not too long ago in my family, in which a family member ended up sort of not getting along very well with their uh, the leadership of their church and like the conversations were basically just the leadership of their church constantly quote invoking the ancients, like doing the ceremony over and over (laughs) again, which was just declaring like, but no, I am the pastor here and I am in charge and you listen to me. Like it was just that over and over again. But I, I really loved that he did this right. That Baker went through and was like, these are very specific. If you know about religion, like a lot of these are very, very sort of basic kind of sacrament ideas, but like to your point, the fact that he didn't just say you make a cross or whatever, he came up with his yeah. own thing is very impressive and cool.
1: And it and it works, yeah. right? Like Yeah, I
0: get like I get it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not like, you know, you know, make make the sign of of the the king of life and you know, to do that you uh, uh, it's not the one way he could go, which is like, you know, you make a holy gesture. Yeah. Which would have been perfectly fine yeah. mechanically speaking. Um, and it's not the other thing where it's like, you know, you rub your hands together very, like, f- quickly or something like that, which is just like, that's, that would be corny as shit. Like, no, there's a, something very elemental about, like, you know, hand up, shoulder level, palm forward, fingers wide. There's there's something of a stop gesture to it, but it's not quite the same thing. Like, it's, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it fucking works for me, yeah, no, <laughs> I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, whatever.
0: Um yeah. Okay. The, so I think my so I have a couple of things that are like pretty early on in the chapter that I think are kind of cool, and mostly it's around like it's a it's around guidance stuff. So
1: yeah, I would love to hear about those.
0: So when you are making a dice pool, right, and you're working with dice pools, we talked about this some in you know, like we talked about this in Aegon, right? Like one of the mechanics in Aegon for sort of getting better is you get to increase the size of your die, right? So if you go from a D10 to a D12, what that means is you suddenly can get a D12, you can get a 12 as a roll instead of a 10 as the highest, etc. Right? So you're just like, expanding, etc. My inclination would be, okay, cool, like my big traits that I care about the most, or like my biggest relationship should get the big dice, right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're whatever if you're you're you have a brother right in a in a relationship one i'm now looking for the thing um but uh the the example he he gives here is this is on page 26 um you might write my older brother nope this is wrong i'm gonna pause because we'll edit (laughs) that out i just Mm -hmm. i just found it and then i scrolled away and then i went back I can't find the brother one, but uh on page twenty-five, so the, the page before, he's talking about d4 traits, right? So you're you're gonna assign d4, which is in general the lowest dice you're gonna be able to like dice value you're gonna have in the game. So um if you assign a d4 to a trait, it makes it more likely that your character is gonna suffer consequence in conflicts, right? Because the numbers you can roll are so much smaller. So the the suggestion he gives here is consider taking them as seeming strengths too. Show so like I'm a good shot. 2d10 reads one way, right? I'm a good shot. I can shoot anything. I roll 2d10s. I'm a good shot 2d4. Is that y- maybe you are a good shot, but also maybe you're like really impulsive, right? Or like, maybe you're very accurate, but you're also like a really, you're just bad at handling the fallout of the situation or whatever. Um, and the way Baker says it is, I'm a good shot 2D4 means that yes, your character's a good shot, but when guns come out, your character's life gets even more complicated than usual. Yes. Which I liked a lot. And the the example I can't find, but the the basic idea was like, if if your brother is sort of a thorn in your side, right? The brother, my brother is a thorn in my side 2d4 as a relationship dice uh, is very different from my brother is a thorn in my side 2d10, right? Where 2d4 is like, yeah, my brother's an annoyance and maybe he's like sort of apostate and I need to think about that. But like, he's not in the town I'm in. He's different. He's far away. 2d10 is like... (laughs) My brother is actively annoying me all all the time, <laughs> and is like yeah. a big force in my life, and I is a thing I have to deal with, which is just it's just cool.
1: Yeah, the other the other like uh, the other example he gives uh, on relationships is uh, like you might write my older brother, whom I worship and with whom I've always been a close been close and caring, one d four, and this old man I once saw across a field in Bowers Draw, two d eight um is like so is a good way of of you know both telling stories with mechanics and indicating what is useful about relationships in this game right because the yeah. the idea isn't like this is the definition of like how close we are that is just a thing we can say the dice come in to play when there's conflict or somebody's going to be hurt yeah like 100% like yeah it's yeah Good shit. This game's really good. I, feel like I like this
0: game a lot. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And I, and I really uh, the the other the other point I uh, I wanted to bring up here is also on page twenty five, which is just I think there's just a really good example of somebody writing writing about how to sort of do the mechanics in their game. In a way that takes seriously that some people like have trouble generating ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read this paragraph. Uh, I'm, I'm probably not gonna read the whole thing. But if you can't think of any traits to start with, try this trick, Write, I'm a good shot on your character sheet. I'm a good shot is always a safe take. Now ask yourself, where did my character learn to shoot? from whom, what were the circumstances, tease a second trait out of those circumstances. Something like, I used to hunt with my brother, or I once killed a wolf that was killing my family's calves, or I fought a year in the territorial army. I'm not going to read the rest, right? But like, I just really liked this paragraph because I am absolutely a person sometimes who reads these things in books where I'll go like, you have a lot of faith in my ability. <laughs> Listen, all you have a lot of faith in my ability to come up with it. I mean, listeners to this podcast have heard me come up with, for instance, Strong Bad Cody. The worst Strong Bad Cody, the worst name. What the hell? Um, I just really thought this was like a, a very generous, honestly, kind of approach of like, I understand that you you might not know what to do here. So let's just walk through it. And I'm going to give you some questions and give you some examples of like, how, if you take sort of, if you take seriously, like, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to ask questions and start answering those questions, things will start to be able to pull out pretty quickly, right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not even, like, the, the part of the thing I like about this specifically is, like, it's not even, like, here's some examples. It's, right, I'm a good shot. Yeah, mm-hmm yeah just like no let's all let's just start from here if you're blanking if you're if you're like i don't know my like my character likes the color red or something i don't know i don't want to do this yeah
0: um and
1: it's like no just yeah i'm a good shot because we're dogs
0: so like (laughs) we need to we need to be good shots right like or we Mm -hmm. need to think we're good shots but have terrible dice and so you know etc etc like it's i it's just it's a really impressive piece of i think like sort of rpg design writing um Yep, uh, for sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, cool. Uh, other stuff about creating characters. Oh, I guess the the last thing is just sort of the last step, which is like the accomplishment. The first trial is maybe worth chatting about. Yeah. That also kind of gets us into yeah. the next chapter. If you're if we're ready to do that.
1: Um, I do still want to talk a little bit about the bit in the background that I highlighted. Uh, oh yeah. Leave it. Why do you do that then? Yeah, oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, absolutely. I forgot that that's what that
0: uh starred note was. Yeah. This is great.
1: Yeah. Um Jesus. This is I feel like I could talk about this for an hour. Like I feel like just this uh like little paragraph. Um but but I'll I'll keep it as short as possible. Um straight up read my note. This section, to my mind, is the perfect embodiment of everything that's right with the setting of this game. Um, and so, no, 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 I'll read the section. Uh, <laughs> da, da, da. Some dogs leave service unfaithfully, though. You aren't punished at all. Everybody knows that the job's hard to impossible, and nobody expects you to do better than your best. If you need it, you are guaranteed a place in the dog's temple, working in the kitchens, the stables, sweeping up, doing household chores, whatever, until you find your way to better. Often, if you desert your calling, though, you don't choose to go back like that. Uh, and this is all in a whole section about what happens, you know, at the end of being a dog, um, whether you, you know, you leave the service to get married, you leave it to, because your steward says you, you have, you know, you've done good works, um, you know, what the, what the social consequences are. And then this is the one where basically like you go apostate as, as your job or as, as, as you leave your job or as your calling, I guess, your vocation, um, just to continue sort of reading what I wrote, because I'm, I'm not going to be able to do a better job uh, <laughs> uh, extemporizing. Um, so this is the embodiment of everything that's right with the setting. It's clear at this point that the world is rancid. What you're doing is reprehensible. What this makes clear is why you would stay. The culture really does look out for its own, even those who theoretically go apostate, or at least that the dogs or the stewards say they go apostate. Like, this is... This is the both the material... This is like so wrapped up in the material benefits of being engaged in this kind of religious faith, and the ways in which it is um, just it conti- it like it makes a the the these bizarre affordances that make so much sense as propaganda and material comfort at the same time. Um, I I was just so impressed with this this little paragraph and like where it could have gone which is way less interesting than where it did
0: yeah 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 well and it, i mean it's worth saying i think too that this is part of uh, almost six full pages of just text about basically the life cycle of a dog right of like yeah. this is your entire background that it starts when you're 12 or 13 and like what happens from there which i think is is also. Uh, I mean, I think this whole section is really well done. I think the the one you pointed out is like really, really cool. But it, it's like yeah. it struck me because I think I did not check this because I it's annoying to scroll through a PDF over and over again. But like I <laughs> think this one might be one of the longer like subsections in the book that isn't long because of math or because of like dice listings. Right? right? Like it's yes. basically six full pages of like text, and it's 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 really well done. And again to hammer on our earlier point, like makes it really clear what the world is. And like the voice here is Baker describing how the dogs and the faith view the world. And, uh, it's just, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really well done. I think it's really like evocative and horrifying and cool. (laughs) Um, yeah. And is really, like, generative, I think, for if you were going to play this game, right, of, like, there's a lot of stuff to pull from here that's just interesting Um, about, like, how women and men are treated differently, right? Like, what the expectations of them are as dogs and the faith and what they focus on. Like, again, it's all pretty, like, horrifying, but it's also fascinating as a thing to take seriously for this game, right? And, like, the world that this game is in. Um,
1: Yes. Um, so accomplishments
0: yeah so the the basically the last part of creating your dog is you sort of give yourself a a, it's like a major kind of accomplishment and then you you basically just do your first conflict right
1: yeah built-in tutorial
0: yeah it like uh i'm curious did did that did it work pretty well for you when you ran this like uh, setting a you know a caveating with all of the so, conversations we've already had about that but like I'm this particular part I'm interested like did these accomplishments help folks understand what it was like what the system was um,
1: you know I can't speak to other people but it, they sure as fuck helped me understand cool. what we were about yeah yeah, to do.
0: yeah yeah that's good
1: <laughs> And and I think, the game, like I said, the game itself, like the actual play of it over the next couple hours, it was just kind of awkward. It wasn't like ruined. And we did the thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just, I just felt, I just felt embarrassed is, is largely what it was. But yeah. um So yeah, you set up your dog and then you, you, um you, you basically go, I would like to accomplish something. Oh, sorry. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was just going to say it because I just, I, I scrolled to it. It's say something that you hope your character accomplished during initiation. Um,
1: and it's... Specifically, not. I hope I became a dog. Correct. Or I hope I won my initiation. He's like, you do not do that. You are a dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, That is a bad. State.
0: Don't <laughs> choose something that'll break your character if it goes the wrong way. It's on page twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. I hope that my character survived initiation, or I hope that my character <laughs> didn't get sent home in disgrace. Aren't good. Um, yes. Yeah, and and then and then you you basically you and the GM take sides and do your first conflict.
1: Yeah, you, you each roll. Yeah.
0: I, so I the thing I'll say, and then we can just talk about conflict. Uh, I just think this is like a very clever... This I just thought this was very clever, right? Which is yes. you go through the process yeah. of creating your character, and then you're just immediately in it, right? Um, yeah. But you're not in it, interestingly, is you're not in it doing something new. You're in it trying to flesh out your character background. Yes. Which I think, I, which again, I just found really clever because I, I think the... The, the normal-ish move, maybe, or sort of the more the sort of more frequent move would be to you you get done with character creation, and then you're supposed to, like, just immediately go out into the world and do stuff, um, which is cool and fine. I, I said that kind of mockingly. I don't—that's a fine—that's a fine way to design a game, uh, right? <laughs> I don't have any problems with that. I have literally no problems with that. But I just, like—I I thought this was really fascinating, which is, like, you are going to both learn the conflict mechanics, and also you are still really working to flesh out who your dog is, Um Yes, which I, th- I thought was cool. Keeping it in that sort of character creation mode, I thought was really, really interesting.
1: <laughs> I am now either I am not I don't know if I remember I'm having a vague memory. I don't remember if it was a thing that actually happened at this table or a thing I just was very worried about. Um, but one of the one of the very interesting aspects of this um, is you know like like Baker says like did I survive initiation is not. Not an interesting question, but you do, you can take full fallout here yeah you um, can yeah so you could you could come into this game fucked up you can
0: hundred yeah 100%. Um, yeah no yeah that's that is actually very important to say is yeah you you th- there is a there's a fallout mechanic at the end of conflicts and you you roll it you do the whole conflict <laughs> mechanic here um, if,
1: if somebody yeah if if somebody goes and escalates a, a fist fight to to a gunfight there's a ch- you could come into this game dead even if you can't put set that as the stake yeah I think it's extremely unlikely based on the balance. Correct, but like, <laughs> but also, uh, yeah. But it's it's there. Like, you can't do that with D anD D, right? Oh no, yeah. Like, uh, bring my five page character background to the table and then just be like, well, I'm dead." <laughs> Before we played anything, I <laughs> also just remember the other thing is um, it's it's another good example of because when you finish it, you always add a one d six trait. Correct. And, and it's a good, ex- a good way of sort of showcasing that no matter whether the trait is a positive or negative thing in the writing, the D6 is always the D6, yeah. um, which is to say, it's, it's a good way of saying, like, give your character, like, negative aspects and give them, and give them dice. The way the system works, when the, once those things are put together, means you will tell a more interesting story yeah. with them. Yeah, um, Which rules. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know that
0: being honest I want to talk in depth about the conflict <laughs> mechanic. I think it's very cool. It's also just very hard to talk about cuz it's just it's just reading out a lot of dice and a lot of like proper nouns. But uh I I I think that maybe the the place to to mostly focus here is on kind of like So after you've created your dog and you have all these dice pools, right, the way conflict works is you are going to roll specific sort of groups of these dice pools together, right? You might roll true traits together and get that pool. Um, But then uh, once you have that first pool, you then start actually doing the conflict. So I'm wondering if you maybe want to talk a little bit about the poker stuff, since that's the primary way that you are using the dice is this sort of escalation mechanic,
1: yeah, um, I think there's something to say very briefly about like the weird the the constraint of verbs in this system, um, because basically you have four stats, and each of the four things you can do take two like a combination of two of those stats. Because you can basically talk, you can do th- physical things without fighting, you can or you can talk hand to hand fight with weapons fight with guns are sort of Basically. like the buckets that all all conflict falls into which is fascinating uh, but that aside so like yeah so generally speaking you'll say you're you're rolling these two stats associated with this type of conflict and then adding your traits and belongings as they as they come up um, so you roll fucking 35 dice or whatever it is actually it's probably usually more like a like eight to 12 um, to start uh and then you play a round of poker not a hand of poker uh is, is how i've come to sur- well, think of it i mean i think the thing i would say is you're not playing poker <laughs> like the, this well, yeah, is that's also
0: true <laughs> uh, this is a this is a metaphor and i think the the, the yeah. thing how well the metaphor works for you can depend on your familiarity with poker <laughs> yes uh, which absolutely. which you, you have just amply demonstrated uh because i don't even know that i that's interesting i guess i now now that you have said that i understand that poker takes place in turns and rounds i just literally would have never thought to use to use those (laughs) words for that but yeah okay
1: (laughs) um um but yeah it's uh it's so it's not like it's not you put out two dice and everyone has to match you and there's specific mechanics around that, and then you keep raising each other. It's like you one person when you take an action, you put out two dice, and that's called a raise. The people who are affected see that see those dice with different numbers of dice, and there are consequences based on how the thing was seen. Um And and, and- seeing
0: for those like me who don't really know what poker yeah, sorry. is. sorry. Uh, seeing is just matching it, right? So if, the, so if yes. the, the person who's opening the conflict puts out a three and a three, and they get six, mm-hmm. you need to be able to put out dice that also, you need to put out two dice that also see that six, right? So a five and a one, or a four and a two, or a three and a three.
1: A C you can do with one die also, and there's- Oh, you're right. That, sorry, but, yes. Um, you, can,
0: you can do yeah. it with one die. Right. Um,
1: uh, but then, so basically that is a, a turn, you, you discard all dice used on that turn unless there's other special things happening, and then the next person goes and they raise. It's completely unrelated to your prior raise. There's a, there's a C check, etc. And then it, you just keep going like that until somebody either says, like, I would like to give up the stakes of this, this conflict because I if I try to see, I'm going to get real fucked up. Or they just literally can't see anymore because you've used all the dice up um, at which point they automatically get dropped out. correct. Um, that is the that is the like slightly more dialed in than the very high level version you gave at the top of the show, and I think it's as far dialed in as we need to get. yeah, I mean <laughs> um, I, the only other thing
0: I was thinking is just that the the next piece, which is the escalation, which is uh oh, which sure. is just yes. the so th- th- it can end in those two ways that you said, right? Uh, but if you are at a place where you don't have good dice left, you can also escalate by draw, like pulling on something else that you have, right? So maybe you draw your gun and you have like your gun dice. And so now you can suddenly roll your gun dice, right? And, uh, you have more dice or you can pull on equipment or you can pull on relationships or you can pull on sort of whatever traits, et cetera. Um, but escalating is about, uh, pulling on those other parts of your character other than just those traits to be able to extend the conflict.
1: Not being nitpicky, um, you can just use traits and belongings and stuff sort of whenever. Um, Escalation specifically y- is calling on your other stats. Oh yes, yeah.
0: you're right. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. So this is where yeah. I this is where I admit that I really struggled with this section.
1: <laughs> this uh, is it, this is confusing as fuck. Um, and this is one of those things that I only figured out because I played. But like, so well, I, this is why I also said you know I, there are four verbs.
0: Y- well, and, and so and the thing I'll say is like I, this is actually probably my one complaint about the book is just this specific stuff is like, and this is just a formatting thing. Like it's just written as text. It's just written as like dialogue and, and that's fine. But like, I just really would have absolutely loved some like tables to like, just clearly delineate, like these are the dice and this is the name and like to follow some of this stuff because it's written very well. And it's written very like, Like it's like really kinetic and like exciting and you like it's written well. Like the actual play stuff is written really well. You want to read it. It's fun, but uh, I ended up getting really confused about uh, (laughs) really confused about like some of the specifics. So you are correct. So uh, the thing I was saying is is the other thing, which is you can uh, basically at any point you can augment your dice if you can pull from like a belonging or a trait or something, and then you can escalate, which is uh, other (laughs) other verbs like you said. Um,
1: yeah, to be like. To be, like, as specific about it as I can be, right? If you start a conflict talking, you roll acuity and heart, right? Um, these are just two of your stats. Don't think about it. Um, and then in the middle of the conflict, you're like, fuck you. I'm going to shoot yeah. you. You can you can then roll gunfighting, which is acuity plus yeah. will. You've already rolled your acuity, so those dice just stay there as they are. You just get to roll however many dice you have in will, and will yeah. now as well.
0: And, and this, I think, is cool. I really liked this part. Like, even though I... it would be a very slow process for me to actually play this, right? I'd have to, like, figure out each step. But I really thought that this escalation mechanic was really, or not escalation, sorry, that's a proper noun. I need to stop using that. I literally (laughs) am saying it because I am on page 60, which has the word ESCALATING in bold, all caps. Uh Um, But, like, uh, the the way that the conflict sort of can continue, right? The way that you can kind of, like, push your luck almost and say, like, no, now I'm going to pull on this. Or, like, when you are actually capital e escalating going like okay well this isn't working so now we're gonna get physical right like yeah <laughs> um i just i wrestle you to the exactly ground. i roll some yeah ass, like so. i just thought was really 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 cool and clever and also i will say effectively speaking i read through this entire section it was like i don't i don't think i want to do this like i think this is super super <laughs> cool i don't know that i would think this is fun um and and like that's not a judgment on it to be clear it's just like that uh that was i came away like really impressed with how cool this system is and also like and this is maybe not a bw system (laughs) um yeah uh yeah uh, and i don't know that i have a ton more to say specifically Uh, the thing i really liked about this sort of in our outline, this section is both chapter four, conflict and resolution and the next chapter, which is giving sort of more examples of how conflict works. Um, But there's like, there's a bunch of stuff in this section. That's cool. It's just, I don't know that like, I really like the way it handles uh, stuff like sort of demons and ceremony and the way Baker talks very explicitly about like, there, there's an entire section around the ceremonies. Right. And like how you use them. And there's, there's a thing where it's like you you might never do this in your game right like if you have no like Mm -hmm. supernatural weird stuff like you might just it might just be that your dogs are brutal enforcers and they don't care about spirituality at all right yep and there's there's just uh like that is that is a one like it's a specific cool example but it's also just like a good example of what baker does really well throughout this entire thing which is just me hammering on my favorite thing which is like he's just going listen like these things are doing a specific thing, so keep that in mind, right? If you are playing a different type of game, this section might just not actually intersect with it. And I've thought about that, right? Yes. Which I I, yeah. I just think back to like Troika and Daniel Sell and that the praise I gave him of like teaching the reader how to read the book. Um, I just really like when an author has thought, and especially when a game designer has thought, like how are people going to read this, right? And I could absolutely imagine a person who's maybe newer and reading this and being like, this is, this is the game I want to try and run. But like, I'm not doing supernatural stuff. Oh, God, how do I do ceremonies? Oh, I don't even do I need to make people do them? Or like, and Baker's just like, "Nah, like, these are a thing and they work. And this is how they work. And this is what they do. And also, if you have followed this other thing I said earlier in the book, you can just ignore this section and you might just never touch on it, which is fine. Like, again, just the confidence of like, understanding his own work and understanding his own system really well, and then understanding readers and like different ways people might read and different ways people might approach it and trying to sort of anticipate that. I I just really appreciated that writing, but I don't know that I necessarily personally need to go through much else of the conflict stuff.
1: Yeah, I think we're good. Um, Cool.
0: Let's, uh, let's move on then to chapter five. I think this will also be pretty short. Uh, So the, the next chapter is uh, sort of, extending the conflict section. Um, and it's giving you a bunch of examples of different ways conflict could go in different sort of styles of conflict, right? Because the the examples that have come already in the book are mostly about, like, arguments, right? Or, like, fights, possibly, or arguments that could get escalated into fights or things like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And
0: I, I really, really liked this, this chapter because I... I did have this exact question, uh, which was like, Oh, this is interesting. I wonder how this would feel for other types of conflict. Right. Because I easily can see how sort of this raising and seeing and sort of the, the escalation and like being able to pull on these things, like your traits and like, I can see how all of that would work. And it makes a lot of sense for like a, a conflict conflict. Right. Um, and yeah. the, so, the first example that I wanted, to, the, or the example I wanted to sort of talk through, is actually just the first example he gives in this um, in this yeah. chapter, uh, which is called <laughs> "My Scrolling Has Gotten So Bad."
1: <laughs> Split seconds.
0: Yeah. So the I think the one I want to talk about is the first one, which is called "Split Seconds." Um, I think all of them are good, but I think split seconds was like it just like first of all, it's the first one out of the gate and first and second of all, I was like, oh my God <laughs> uh, yes so split yes. seconds, what's at stake? Do you outshoot the shooting instructor? And I was like, oh, that's an interesting one. Do you outshoot the shooting instructor? Uh, the stage that is set is the shooting range outside the dog's temple. I'm reading from page 85 in the book. Um, you've been shooting at cans and scarecrows. now someone flips a nickel. Do you hit it? All the seeing and raising has to come between when the person flips the nickel and when you pull the trigger. And so it's, of course, called split seconds because that is split second, right? Like, that is an incredibly quick action. Um, and this example showing how you can, like, you can still just do the conflict, right? You roll acuity plus will, two of your um, skills, And, like, the GM can raise, right? Uh, But the raise, the complications could be things like the sun's glare. He mentions, like, the fact that you'll hurt the instructor if you miss, right? So that kind of, like, worry and anxiety. And I, like, I was just so impressed with, yeah. like, again, so then on, like, on the player side, right? It's, like, stilling your breath, right? Holding your breath, things like that. Like, all of the things that you could do... But what you, like, the actual, like, time in the world of the game is a split second. I just was really impressed with how easily I saw this work, right? Just by reading through this. Yes. I was like, oh, God. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Like, I now don't have, I don't have this concern. And then I continued reading through the chapter <laughs> and was like, oh, yeah, there's, like, a bunch more, right? Like, the the second one is just, do you learn to ride? Uh, Like you've never ridden a horse before and you want to ride a horse. And again, just like the first example was like blew my mind, but also was about shooting, you know? (laughs) And then the second example, I was like, oh yeah, this actually seems pretty normal. But then like, as I went through and he's saying like, okay, like it could be the different riding situations you find yourself in, right? It could be like, uh, there's like rocks on the course. Uh, It could be that you're pulling on like, whatever, working with the oxes because you grew up on a farm, that could be one of your traits, something like that. Um, like it just mm-hmm. all tumbled out. I was like, oh yeah, these are like really, really solid examples and show me that uh, like helped me understand, for instance, why Kay and Oba wanted to make DOGS because this yeah. is a really cool set of mechanics that when you combine it with the setting in the world of dogs in the vineyard do really, really super specific stuff. But it also has a, like a breadth or like a, uh, not breadth, but it applies more broadly, and in a way that I, until this chapter, I just wasn't as convinced of. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think for me, the big takeaway from this chapter was like, yeah, he played tes- he playtested the shit out of. This y-
0: oh game. yes, yeah, I like this part of your notes yeah. actually. I I, I really because that didn't occur to me, but as soon as I read your note, I was like, oh fuck, you are correct.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, hundred um, percent. Which also because you yeah because. Yeah. or like you said right like um well two things right i also my reaction to the split seconds was basically the exact same thing that we both said at the top of this right it was one of those moments where a door in my head got kicked yeah. open and i was like oh you fucker yeah. you can do yeah, this 100 <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, percent yeah. but also like <laughs> uh god there's like okay so i want to talk about ambush really quickly sure. yeah. <laughs> ambush is the is another example example seven what's at stake do you get murdered in your bed yeah.
0: oh yeah this <laughs> the is stage you're... <laughs> this is a very i'm very glad you want to talk about this this is good i had forgotten about this one yes
1: the stage your room at night a possessed sinner creeps into your room without waking you uh you only roll acuity because you're asleep i roll body and will and then uh then somebody then the gm has somebody fucking axe you in the head while you're asleep and a thing I love about this is this uh, section right near the end where he says, I should tell you, in an early playtest, I startled one of my players very bad with this conflict. Sorry, <laughs> startled one of my players bad with this very conflict. In most role-playing games, saying an enemy sneaks into your room in the middle of the night and hits you in the head with an axe is cheating. I've hosed the character and the player with no warning and no way out. Not in dogs, though. The resolution rules are built to handle it. I don't have to pull my punches. <laughs> You've jammed a bunch of RPGs before, right? Think about what I just said for a minute. You know how you usually pull your punches? Like, like just good-ass writing of, like, you can do some weird shit here and you can go absolutely fucking goblin mode yeah. Well, the, uh, <laughs> in, uh, the, because of these because of these rules the,
0: there was a there was a moment in a uh recent friends of the table episode in which austin walker says something along the lines of oh yeah no i just remembered that i can just make people lie npcs can just lie to you they don't <laughs> like they can just lie uh-huh. and i was like fuck uh-huh. yes they can <laughs> I'm <laughs> very much just reminded of this, right? Which is like, uh, it, it. I, I, I tend to because I'm me, tend to think that some systems probably would work better with this sort of play than others, for sure. But like Baker is exactly yeah. right. Like th- the system here is meant to to handle this kind of thing. It it doesn't mean that you're going to win. That's not what handling it means, right? It's not balanced that the player is mm-hmm. going to be like a heroic winner all the time, but like. Right. You you can roll things, and you have things at your disposal to pull more dice in, and to get that pool bigger, and to be creative and think about ways that you can respond. Right. Like, I just, I, I, yeah, I think it's, think it's very cool. Dogs in the Vineyard's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs>
0: um, cool. I, I don't have much else to say on this. Um, uh, the the thing that I was just reminded of that I'll I'll just post in here, I'll just quickly stick it in here that I didn't didn't put a note about is I was just looking at page 93, um, which 93, 94, 95, 96 are a short little uh, chapter, chapter six, that's called the structure of the game. And I just really appreciated this. There's a bunch of these sorts of summary sections where like after character creation, right, there'll be a little section that's like, okay, so we just went through that whole chapter. Here are the steps. Here's some things to keep in mind. And uh, yep. I just really think that the these these little pieces are really really helpful and are done really well.
1: Yes, I didn't put it in the notes that I we were, were sharing because I was like taking handwritten notes. The thing I literally wrote for the structure of the game chapter was like, if I was in if I was actively GMing this, this would be the section I was taking the most. Notes oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for like, sure, it's it's just very useful and uh, not a ton to say, but just like yeah, like you said, like. The recaps, the end of character creation and conflict and resolution, and then this piece are just like uh, mixed, uh, coupled with the fact that the index seems pretty robust. Yeah. I haven't like tested that. Um, are just like incredibly good pieces of utility to this game that. It didn't have to have, but that, it, but it does, and that's
0: great. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And actually, on the point of the index, I, this is the thing I read the first time and then forgot. One, I do think the index is very well done, honestly. Um, like way, okay. way more well done than it needs to be. And what's impressive <laughs> to me is that it both has, uh, the index is is an index and a reference. So, uh, things dice is is sort of one of the. One of the sections in this on page 154. And it tells you page 27 is where you go to assign dice to things, right? And then immediately under in the index, it also just says a normal is 1d6, a big is 1d8, a high quality is 2d6, right. a big and high quality is 2d8, crap is 1d4, guns are plus 1d4. And it does this for all things, yes. right? It says, Fallout, here are some pages, but also here are just some dice reference that's really helpful. And it, at the very end of the index, at the very end on page 156, I love this. It says, if you don't know what to do right now check the outline on pages 93 to 96 that i just referenced um like it's just it, he very clearly is a uh is, has designed a lot of games and has tested a lot of games and has talked to a lot of people about how they read games and game books and it's just yeah. so it's very impressive uh like i've always I, like i've read apocalypse world i think it's great uh i've read uh other stuff that both he's done and he and mcgay have done i've read some of mcgay's stuff like i've always been impressed by them but like reading dogs this closely i was just like Jesus Christ, you are very good at this. It was
1: all there in 2005, (laughs) you piece of shit.
0: (laughs) Like, Jesus, you're very good at this, and you've been very good at this for a long time. Uh, It was just, it's very impressive. Yeah. Um, Well, cool. Well, so I I saw that as I was going down. There's basically two sections left. There's um, a bunch of GMing advice, which I think we have some stuff to talk about, and then there's some design notes at the the end. Um, But the GMing advice is, I mean, this won't be... for people who've listened to the podcast before (laughs) um i i didn't i didn't have a a ton of stuff to talk like there's a lot of really 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 interesting stuff in here but it's it's really it's it's very practical right it's it's really focused on helping you run the game which is super cool and really useful and also I, i just didn't end up having a ton of super specific thoughts but you had a bunch of thoughts so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you start talking
1: yeah, I th- I'll be. I'll try to be fairly brief here because, um, I, you know, on some level, what I'm going to say is uh, these are all very good suggestions for running dogs in the yeah. vineyard um, that also have some broader applica- applicability. Yeah. But like, but they are very. This is very tailored. He does a great job of tailoring the, his advice to like the kind of game that he thinks this game is best run as mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, and and I think that's a fantastic way to do GM advice. The, the one single sentence thing that I fucking wish was as like widespread in, in like gaming stuff as like uh, a, you know, drive your car or drive your character, like a stolen car or uh, to do it, Mm -hmm. do it or to do it. You have to do it is every moment of play roll dice or say yes. I fucking love that.
0: It's really, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. And it's, it's so good for this game in particular, right? Like, to your point, like, he just, yeah, he just really know, he, he knows what he's making here.
1: <laughs> right, and like, part of the reason this is great to me, right, is like, this is part of the just the general ethos of the time, right? Yeah. It's like, we're not gonna do fucking like, party perception checks for everything. If it's interesting, if the party finds it, they find it. If it's interesting, if they don't find it, we, we we resort to the dice. So you roll dice or you say yes. Like, those are your options. <laughs> um, and, like, so there's no, like, yeah, there's no, like, mm, are they going to see the um, the treasure chest over in the corner there? Yeah, well, this is, I mean, this um, is
0: the, the, right, this is the OSR person's complaint about the, like, role-to-play complaint, right? Which is once you start right. making a bunch of, uh, once you make everything a specific skill with a specific number, their argument or hans's argument right was like that all players are now just going to uh only be able to do things if they roll the dice right and so there's that example of like whatever there's a rug on the floor and there's a hidden door but if you didn't have a good enough perception you just didn't see the door even though you as a player might be like but it's clear that the rug is hiding something come on
1: (laughs) right yes phrasing it as every moment of play roll dice or say yes this is my what was the thing we talked oh is the the, this is this is for me what the system does matter statement at the beginning of this game is for you right yeah 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 uh this is me being like oh this is the way to talk about this like this is the way to convey this information it's to my brain at least it's not to be like well, we think that because of of you know scope creep skill systems have had this this effect on the way that people play games it's like here's how the fucking yeah. this game roll, <laughs> roll dice or say yeah. yes yeah, yeah it's just good and, and um, I,
0: like and it like I, I've been scrolling through this while we're talking and so part of me is kind of like, oh, it kind of kills me that we're not gonna talk about more of this, but it's just hard because there's just so much but like. They're, They're all good. They all really it's, are. It's, all of these chapters are so good. The, the way that he walks you through, like, thinking about towns, thinking about NPCs, thinking about uh, the between towns, which is like a thing that I, until I got to this point in the book, I just wasn't even thinking about that, right? But like, of course, you got to move yeah. your people from place to place. That's like the entire, right? It's like an episodic game where you go from town to town.
1: Yeah, and he just basically is, he, he's basically just like, here, do some milestone leveling. Yep. Like, you know, just between towns, do a level up, and like, talk about your shit, and talk about how the play was, and then... Yeah, and, and I actually really
0: <laughs> love that he very explicitly was like, this is a good part, a good time for you to talk as a table. Like, hey, how'd that go? Did we like that? Did that feel good? Like, which, again, yeah. Too many
1: demons, not like, enough Exactly. <laughs>
0: do, we, do, do we want four demons as opposed to three? Um... Yeah, there's just, there's so, so, so much good stuff in here. That's just, it's just really, like, uh, I think some of it, some of it likely is is very sort of, take, you could take it and apply it to other things, right? But, like, the thing that really I love about it is, of course, because I'm me, that, like, this is just, it's such good advice for this game, right? And, like, what Baker is trying to do is is really, truly help you understand how to get like, the most fun and the most interest out of this series of sort of mechanisms, right? These mechanics. And I think he does a really good job of laying it out and, like, helping you understand what he's trying to do and what this the sort of rules are kind of trying to do together. It's just, yeah, it's laid out really, it's just laid out really well. Um, I mean, I think the, th- the thing that we, that we both ended up flagging that's sort of weird... <laughs> is which it is, is it's weird uh is the like the proto <laughs> npcs thing? So I, I think this is fun to talk about a little bit just because it, it is yes I, I this actually didn't feel super like out of left field to me because it, it reminded me of like w- meat grindery sort of approaches to character creation if you're familiar with that
1: sure yeah yeah no i didn't think about that at all but yeah definitely even but that's not what he's doing no 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 so
0: so let me <laughs> let me quickly just explain the thing i just said and then we can talk about the actual book so meat grinder stuff is just there's uh there are there are various games uh the, the first one i read that had this in it is uh dungeon crawl classics i think um yeah it, it came up in the hans it's, it's mentioned in there but it's the it's the actual full rpg version it's not their like early stuff but where you just like roll like 10 characters or something. You just roll a shit ton of dice and you have 10 level one characters with random stats. And you basically just play through a sort of first encounter and you just are, you just assume that multiple of them will die. And whichever character is still alive at the, at the end of that first session, you kind of take it forward. It's been a long time since I've read this. I apologize yes. to Dungeon Crawl Classics if I'm getting this wrong, but that's the basic idea. You roll a bunch of a bunch of sort of like low level characters and then you just sort of play and figure out who survives and then that's your person um but that is not you're right that is not what he's doing i just it was uh it was the thing that brought to mind no that's but. a
1: good that's a great touchstone that i i missed also but like yeah it, yeah It it's so i so i have done this right i've created these proto npcs it's fucking weird to play <laughs> yeah. um yes yeah, so, so
0: uh i'm so this is on page 25 um i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read uh however you don't make your NPCs the way you do PCs one by one with individual attention, right? So that's how you make the player characters, right? We talked through this at some, in some length, right? We just, you, you pull all that stuff out, you make all those things, you do your, like sort of your initial conflict. Um, so, uh, instead with NPCs, uh, now I'm quoting again, you make them in batches of six semi formed proto NPCs, which you then flesh out when you need to in play like this. Uh, I'm just going to skip to two. Give your proto NPCs stats. Roll six D10. Each D10 gives you one proto NPCs stats. Don't name the proto NPCs. Just give them stats. Mix up which stats get the high numbers and which get the low. So basically you're just making uh, six NPCs with no names and with a kind of vaguely random-ish <laughs> dice pool. Uh and then yes. you keep going. You give them tra- you, traits, traits, relationships. relationships. <laughs> you uh give them some free, free dice. dice which is basically like it would be like your belongings if you were a player character, right? Um and then it gives an example of a proto NPC on page 127 which is just an example of a proto NPC. Name Jeez, big blank space. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just a lot of numbers, stats, acuity, three d six, heart, five d six, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea is, in play, you then have these this pool of six people that you can sort of pull on based on what you think makes sense, right? And that's the that second part to me was the part where I was like, I would need to understand this system at a much deeper level to be able to <laughs> look at this. Series of like just this list of numbers of dice, and go. Yeah, okay. This is this should be the priest who is uh, apostate and you know having an affair or whatever.
1: Like, I, right? He. Uh, this is obvious. Yeah, the the apostate priest is obviously heart. Exa- like so, I just so working from there. Well, just to give him some his some traits in a, in a which
0: which is one of those things where like. As you just said, right, this was my question, is like, how was this in play? And apparently the answer is kind of weird (laughs) to like... It was fucking weird. Because that's the thing that I stumbled (laughs) on here, which is like, what would it feel like to just pull one of... Or like, just be looking at this kind of table of numbers. And I think you would get to a place, probably not too long, after playing the game or GMing the game, where this is less confusing, right? But your first first time GMing, this seems hard to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was my experience at least. I think you're right. I think maybe after like 3 or 4 sessions you kind of you could kind of get a feel for yeah. it. But like I
0: and, and I, 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 I I will say cuz I just I just saw this and I think this is actually important. I will say that this is also on page 127. H- his recommendation, right, is that is not that you create NPCs in play, like, right, when you just need to, like, play a character in play, right? You're not doing a conflict. What he's not saying is you need to then, before you play that character, pick a trait, right? You can just role play the character, and then at some point, a conflict will come up, and then you do need to take your six tables of d- dice and try to match, right, a proto-NPC table with this character you've now been playing in the game.
1: By, like... My real answer here, now that I've been sifting through my memories, um, is that when this first came up, it dragged the table down really bad, because it was like, okay, we're about to do our first, like, real conflict, not an initiation, so I need to, like, know my dice and, like, and shit. Um, It's gonna be this character, okay, so now... While I'm trying to explain to you what dice you're going to need to roll on, in this thing, I'm also over here scrambling, trying to be like, God damn it, is this, like, farmhand? Like, I, I do I just choose a fucking random one? Because I don't know the dice well enough to do that. And it's just like... It took five, ten minutes of just being like, um, I think this and like, uh, did we establish anything like a relationship wise? I don't remember if I said anything about it. like he has like a, I guess maybe he's like the person he works at the farm for. And I'm just like, but that's not like a 2d6 relation. And well, I mean, so
0: that is actually a, a thing worth saying quickly as well, right? Which is like very explicitly just to say you, you don't necessarily like actually assign who those relationships are. Until the moment you take the character you've been playing and match it up to one of your proto NPC tables, which to like just to augment your like just to basically hammer home your point, right? Of like, yes, you you have a whole bunch of dice, but also like, if if you're playing a person and it's like a a priest with a gun and you've established that in play, you suddenly need to like stop and play and take this proto NPC and like think about his items quickly, right? And like.
1: So, to to that point, though, to so the game of prep point, like, this is the weirdness of proto-NPCs, right? Yeah, It's like, don't prep your NPCs, is is the thing it's saying. It's saying, like, prep don't, them in, don't make full Prep NPCs. them in
0: one prep- very specific way.
1: In a way that it's, doesn't, yeah. like... May, I, maybe, it may, I mean, you saying the like uh, dungeon crawl, class, crawl classic thing. Um, what was the meat term grinder for that I think
0: character creation? Yeah,
1: like the meat grinder style thing. Like that at least gives me a fucking like I some idea of where the background of this might have come from. Because prior to that, I was just like, "What are you? Did you just like have this idea in a dream and like thoroughly playtest everything else, but go oh. no." I have oh, to have this That's in interesting. <laughs> uh, th- so this was my read on this. I
0: read this and went, wow, this is definitely written by a person who plays a lot of fucking tabletop
1: RPGs. <laughs> yes, that, that, is, uh, that is actually the truth, right? Uh, but like, it just feels so unhinged and like so unrelated to like, I can't see where it fits sort of systemically within the game either. Like, I don't see how this- Oh, that's interesting. ...follows- from the yeah it, how it falls from the like setting i don't see how it like it, it it fundamentally uh interlocks with the you know the dice pools or anything uh and maybe i'm just missing it i don't know uh,
0: that that's interesting i don't have like a i mean I, for one i definitely don't have the answer because i don't who knows but like i uh, that may that seems like a totally reasonable uh read i, I definitely saw this though as like um leaning into the idea that the the goal of this game is to get the players to do stuff. And so part of how I read this was Baker trying to get you as a GM to stop caring about your NPCs so much, right? They are kind of just That's random. That's extremely
1: right. Correct. Like, yes, that is.
0: what what they are are they are pools of dice for you to make your players' lives more complicated and worse, and make them have to do crazier shit, right? Um, which is a very it's a very specific approach to to NPCs and to gming and to how the game works and what the focus is, right? Like, um, I think a lot about um. The, I don't remember, it was one of the games they played on Friends at the Table, but there was, like, one of the principles of one of the games was about, like, give everyone, everyone should have a name who's on screen, basically, right? Like, there aren't just sort of, like, random background characters that just get killed or whatever. Like, if you kill a person on screen, that matters, and it is a person with a name and with a history, and they they are part of a world, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, that's just not what this is, right? The people who matter in this world, in Dogs in the Vineyard, are the players. They're the dogs. And so... I read this as as Baker trying to get the GM to go like, listen, don't hold on to these things tightly. I because I cause I, I, spe- I specifically really like the part uh, where he's like, uh, if you run out of proto NPCs, just call a quick break and make a new batch. It takes only a minute or three. <laughs> on page one twenty eight, and like I read that and was like, that's true, and also <laughs> like this is a mindset shift that you are introducing in terms of how to think about this game and how to run this game as a GM.
1: Well, yeah, early on, there is the line that's like, play the NPCs up to your elbows, but be willing to let them die or something like that. Like, I remember that line very, from very early yeah. on. So he's like, been saying this. And then in the GM, uh, how to GM section, there's the the tenet, do not have a solution in mind, which yeah. I think is, is what you're also getting at. Like, uh, if you have a solution in mind, the game rules are going to mess you up bad. Is the first yeah. sentence there? Yeah, yeah, right? Like he's he's explicitly like you're saying he's pushing he is pushing rules to keep you the GM from being able to play God. I mean, uh, there, and said,
0: there's so much of this that I think is really well stated. And sorry to interrupt, but I just like I'm I'm on page 138 and now. I want to read it because it's just another example of the thing you said, right? Which is. Uh, you can't have a hero and a villain among your NPCs it's the pc's choices that make them so right so like you need to go in with yeah. these as your proto NPCs are just stat tables <laughs> truly right whether they are they are important is based on the player uh, the player, action, right? And the story that the sort of player characters are trying to kind of tell. Uh, So I'm going to read the next thing, which is all I'm saying is, the PC's stories aren't yours to write, and they aren't yours to plan. If you've GM'd many other role playing games, this will be the hardest part of all. Let go of what's going to happen. And then this is stuff you've said, play the town, play your NPCs, leave what's going to happen to what happens.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I am a little surprised that it Took us scrolling through this for you to get uh so deep into the how to gm portion because in my mind this is the this is the like when all, this is where he just like is like i made an opinionated fucking system and let me tell you about it <laughs> um oh uh, like all of these things yeah uh, so I, th- I
0: this is absolutely i think the most interesting part of this book in a lot of ways i just like mm. it's also not the stuff that i'm gonna re- i'm gonna sort of respond to as strongly because i don't often put myself in the position of thinking about gming and so like uh that's why i was really excited for you to talk about this stuff is because like i could absolutely (laughs) respond to things and like bounce off stuff but like i read through this all and was like this is all really good yeah and like (laughs) thumbs up and like, yes. okay. very excited thumbs yeah. up. But like, I also was kind of like, but I don't, I don't like, I, I don't push off of this in, in the same ways because this is about play, right? This is about taking the systems and playing, which like, I just don't usually take that second step fully. And if I do, I, yeah. it's like, oh, well, how would this play out in, how would these two things interact? Right. Um, But I, I agree. Like, I really, uh, there's, this is. This and the, the some of the stuff in the design notes are, like, some of my favorite parts of this book because it's what I love, right? It is uh, – the thing I like about doing this podcast is I just like hearing people who make a thing talk about why, right? Like, what they've made, why they've made it, why they made the choices, why they've constructed it in that way. Like, this is why I like like – talking to like my friends who are artists and musicians about what they make. And like, how did you get to that? And Oh, that's fascinating. Why did you choose that there? Oh, cool. Okay. Like, and this is just Baker being like, I'm going to lay this all out because I think it will help you play this game. Like in a more fun way, right? This is going to have the play at the table. I think be better if I can lay all this stuff out for you and help you understand how I view these things fitting together and what I was trying to do by fitting these together.
1: I mean, I, sounds that's a, yeah, that sounds like a solid note.
0: Yeah. Um I, I I will say I think maybe then the 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 very final thing is I uh the we both mentioned this, but there's a there's a thank section and the first first person <laughs> mentioned is uh is our, our good friend old Uncle Ronnie. Um but I actually uh-huh. I really like this. Like I I genuinely I liked this a lot. I thought this was really sweet and like was a good reminder to me that like uh the Forge was a community of people who cared about a thing together, and like i'm just not, i wasn't part of that right i was i was i was not interested yeah. in this um and like my concerns about ron edwards uh are concerns and they're valid, and like the brain damage thing sucked, and I don't love system does matter, but like, mm-hmm. man, he really did like do some work right and like help some people think about these things and give people a place to think about these things and like uh, but I, I just thought this was—I just thought this was sweet, and I thought it was written sweetly. Um, and I thought—I thought his thing about uh, his extra special thanks to McGay was really sweet too. <laughs> um, I just yeah. really like that stuff. Uh,
1: I came I, I, I was a big fan of. Uh,
0: I, I just—I just came away yeah. from the, that the thanks section just being like, David's a baker, just seems like a nice guy. <laughs> like he just seems like yeah. a nice a nice dude. I would like to talk to. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, my my favorite one I brought this up in a, outside of the call last time but yeah certain of my family members for their forbearance I hope I dearly <laughs> hope when they see the unpleasant use to which I put their likenesses yeah. Is it's just a it's a good little yeah. like I don't know like fuck them but also I hope I hope no one's too yeah, mad <laughs> yeah totally. yeah
0: well cool I, I mean I think we've done it I think we talked about uh dogs in the vineyard
1: I, I I think we did a good job, and I hope it comes across. Why? I I mean, I like I said at the top, love this game, and I love reading this game. Um, and I, you know, I hope I hope I hope some of that really came through because I, I think I did an okay job talking. Yeah,
0: no, I yeah I I I I also hope that I, I I I think we both really liked this game a lot for both very similar and sometimes very different reasons, which is cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh i I, so i will i will do one last quick stinger for dogs by kato bot and just say i I do think that um if if this is interesting to you if anything we've talked about with dogs in the vineyard sounds really interesting one absolutely go search out a pdf of dogs in the vineyard it's great and then maybe go buy a different game by defensive baker or something if you want to but like absolutely find a pdf i think it's worth reading um but if you for instance are very interested in the mechanics but are like i don't don't want to deal with the terrible religious stuff i think d i think dogs dogs is like a really i think it's a really solid uh thing to read and i think it's really interesting um and like i'm basically going to keep it like maybe i'll just bring it back and we can do an episode on it at some point um because i uh it does have changes it's not exactly the same um but uh i think it's i think it's really cleverly done um and i think some of the same things we've said about what Baker has done in Dogs in the Vineyard could also apply on my sort of very quick read of D- of the Dogs, DOGS. Um, in that, Kay and Oba, I think, has actually done a pretty good job of trying to keep the same sort of like, I am trying to help you understand what this system is good for. And it's different in DOGS than it is Dogs in the Vineyard, right? Because the setting and the world aren't there, which affects how sort of you kind of approach the mechanics. Um so, uh, I just gonna put that last little plug. I think it's cool. I, I think, uh, definitely worth looking
1: up. <laughs> uh, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna keep hanging out in Lumply.games?
0: Uh, sure. Yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah. Click that link. Look at that. I'm going to Lumply.games.
1: Yeah. Oh. Um, we're gonna talk about world building, um,
0: I'm very Jump I'm very excited. I, uh, I really uh like uh so McGay Baker is a, is a very good follow on Twitter. I I'm a I'm a weaver uh which I've talked about. Uh but McGay Baker is a museum curator and like specifically is interested in textiles. <laughs> um uh-huh. and like uh she often will do just like threads of like hey i'm like working on this stuff or hey here's these cool things we got in uh and it's just i just i think her work is very cool uh so i'm just excited to read more from her but this looks great i'm excited about this
1: uh this was this was me being like let's (laughs) this is the thing i've had in my back pocket for a little bit and it was my like let's pick something for b yeah <laughs> um choice <laughs> um so the, the the article we're reading uh the series of blog posts we'll be reading is follow the thread a world building guide by mcgay by baker um it is a an argument that uh a, a strong way to build worlds is to start thinking start by thinking about the threads uh that is literal yeah threads.
0: oh uh, god i'm so excited about the titles for all of these posts
1: uh-huh <laughs> um yeah part two is babies washing and staying healthy I want to just uh let's just read this very quickly first sentence in this why is there a section about babies and fertility in an article about thread because the production of thread and fabric is a tremendous task consuming vast amounts of time and work and therefore issues of fertility birthing and parenting are impacted directly by that demand for labor further Come on. further uh. <laughs>
0: The next part is exciting to me because it's like, it's just the first thing I thought, which is further textile production has throughout time been predominantly considered women's work. Once the fiber needed leaves, uh, or once the fiber needed leaves the animal or plant from which it comes, Um, which is a thing I've thought about a lot because I like, yeah, I I think a lot about art versus Uh art versus craft and the role of craft and how textiles are Mm -hmm. viewed and. Uh, last year, I went to a like I, I went to a Zoom lecture, which was basically there are a bunch of people who are like doing um, art history archivist work who have just started realizing like there are a lot of like really incredible tapestry artists and we just have no record of them because nobody considered their work important and they were mostly women so like there's not big archives, there's not big collections of letters, there's not all of their old cartoons. Um, And so there's now a movement of people who are trying to say, like, we need to start, like, looking for the people who are doing this and tracking this, because this is an art that, like, is being lost. Uh, Anyway, sorry for the weird little rant. I'm excited. This is exciting. (laughs)
1: Oh no! This is a perfect preview of what's going to yeah. be happening uh, <laughs> in in episode eight point one. Uh, at, at least if I have my way. Um, yeah, just to just to sort of yeah close it off. It's uh, follow the thread of world building guide by McGay Baker. I chose it partially because I really wanted to to get BW's thoughts on this thing that I haven't read the whole again. I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read the first part and some some passages here and there. Uh, I also chose it because we just read one of uh, D. Ba- one of D. Vincent Baker's only games that isn't. Co-written or doesn't have a co-credit yeah. by Maggie yeah, Baker, yeah. and I was like, uh, you know, I've been wanting to read some of her stuff. I've 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 read some of her stuff uh, in the S- past. Spoiler, and, and then this is I b- I bought some
0: of her stuff yeah. a few months ago in it in anticipation of covering some of her stuff on the show eventually. Um,
1: oh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, and so I wanted to, you know, they're they're so well paired um, that I figured, you know, a, an old ass Stevenson and Baker game should get a. A, a very recent uh meg a baker post uh this is from like november of 2022 through like january of 2023 when these were written that's awesome um, cool i'm
0: excited this yeah. is great
1: and yeah yeah so um yeah fucking join us next time for a for the second to last theory episode of of this season of on the matter of systems
0: yeah where can people find you on the internet B?
1: i'm still on twitter at b
0: gabriel it's true i am also still on instagram at bakery slash (laughs) workshop i'm also on twitter again as noted hermit but all i do is uh retweet the new Otmo's episode tweet that b makes and then i post random pictures Mm -hmm. of things that make me happy
1: hell yeah cool that's like that's a that's a it's a good use of Twitter. I just talk about my dreams and then Yeah. I guess these days. I don't know what is happening over there. I don't know why I like direct people to follow me there. It's not like a thing I use well or uh, with intent <laughs> in any way. <laughs> um, but hey, do it anyway. Follow me on follow yeah. me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, thanks for
0: listening, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, I want to talk about dogs in the vineyard more after we stop this? <laughs>
1: Bye.